Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly episode of us talking shop on movies, TV, music, and video games. Not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. Thank you for joining us. Today is January the 23rd, 2024. As we continue excavating the year of 2024, the brand new fresh year. Um, This is episode 419. Oh, that means, you know what that means next week. Yeah, I do. Next week is episode 420. Yeah, it is. What are we going to do? Anything special? No? Uh, Probably not. I don't know. Probably talk about uh, Snoop Dogg's movie. (laughs) <laughs> maybe Soup Dog will be underdogs yeah. we should give him a call see if he wants to be on the podcast hey maybe <laughs> make a cameo <laughs> a literal cameo we just hold up to the screen <laughs> i mean he can't we can't make an argument that it's being for like a for profit at all because we don't make a profit right we are a no profit podcast yeah so uh we're gonna start the show in reverse order here so i guess i'm gonna take the lead on the first half of the show here Yes. Um, because something major happened. We alluded to it last week, but this morning, bright and early at 5.30 in the morning, I did not wake up that early, but I did wake up at 6.30 to see the recording of it, um, was the Oscar nominations. We officially have the official nominations for this year's Oscars, which will take place in March. We have all the exciting up-and-comers. We have all the snubs, and boy, will we talk about some serious snubs. Mm-hmm. Um, among other things. So let's start with the movie section, like we always do, with the weekend box office numbers. Let me put this up here. There we go. Number one this week, uh, carrying over from last week, is Mean Girls with $11 million domestic. That's sitting at $50 million after two weeks. Number two, The Beekeeper, $8.4 million. That's adding to a $31 million total. Number three, Wonka sticking around with $6.4 million this week. That's at $187 million. Number four, Anyone But You with $5.4 million. That's at $64 million. And rounding out your top five, Migration with $5.3 million this week. Settling at 94. You were right. You said you like put it in the air last week. Maybe there's a chance it can crawl to 100. It will literally limp over. It'll hit 100, and then they'll pull it. I think you're right. I think next week, that's it. They'll I think go. they're just going to say, hey, keep it in there as long as you can, because it's the dead of January, and maybe we'll get to 100. Then you can pull it. Yeah. I feel like this is also going to be one of those that have a second life on streaming. This is going to be probably what uh, Peacock, since it's Illumination. Yep. And I could see it, it doing pretty well with families there. So... They may very well make their money back on migration after all. We may have been speaking too quickly on its demise. So we'll see. This week, uh, we do have some new releases coming into theaters. We start with Academy Award nominee Totem. Uh, we just watched, Christy and I watched a, are you familiar with how Criterion uh, does those uh has the actors or directors in the Criterion closet and they pick movies that they like? No. You would really like this. Yes, Google this on YouTube or YouTube that (laughs) uh, Criterion closet because the director of Totem, we watched hers this morning as well as we watched Jason Schwartzman's because Christy loves Jason Schwartzman. 
Um, <laughs> it's a fun little series. Um, then we also have the underdogs. It's two G's. It's the underdogs, but it's double G because double G is going to be in this movie. That being of Snoop yeah. Do double G fame. Right. We will not be watching this movie. I don't think. If <laughs> uh, you will, probably not. And if some pride. Well, you know, win. All right, so that's the new releases coming out this week. In case you are hitting the theaters. But yes, get out of the way, everything else. It's time to talk about the reason why we're here, which is the Oscar nominations. First up, big news of the big headline of the morning is that Oppenheimer is your lead picture in the nominations with 13 nominations, followed by by surprise uh, juggernaut Four Things with 11 nominations. And both are entering the best picture race. Killers of the Flower Moon has 10 nominations Barbie with eight, and they join American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, Past Lives, and The Zone of Interest, vying for Best Picture. At age 81, Martin Scorsese has made history by becoming the oldest directing nominee. He will face off Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall, and Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. Yes, you're thinking there's one missing here. We'll get to that later. <laughs> Top acting categories have lead actor Bradley Cooper for Maestro, Coleman Domingo for Rustin, Paul Giamatti for The Holdovers, Cillian Murphy for Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright for American Fiction. Lead actress includes Annette Benning for Nyad, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall, Perry Mulligan for Maestro, and Emma Stone for Poor Things. Animated Feature, a favorite here at Media Boat Podcast, has The Boy in the Heron, Elemental, Nimona, Media Boat Podcast favorite year, of t- uh, favorite movie, <laughs> favorite year of the movie, favorite movie of the year for 2023, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. That's Adapted true, screen- favorite movie of the year for 2023. It's true. Why? What was that? Oh, that's right. It didn't win. You're right. <laughs> I convinced myself it did, but no, it didn't. In your timeline, it did. <laughs> hey, the one we picked is actually for uh, nominated for Best Picture, so we are actually technically right. Yes. Saying. Still, no matter what, we're right. Either one, we're right. <laughs> um, adapted screenplay as American Fiction, Barbie, that's where that ended up landing, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Zone of Interest. Original screenplay has Anatomy of the Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, May, December, and Past Lives. The one award for May, December. We'll get there when we talk about snubs. The 2024 Oscars will be held on Sunday, March 10th, the day before my 34th birthday, at 4 p.m. Pacific time, an hour earlier, they stressed, at the nomination ceremony, at the Dolby Theater at Ovation Hollywood in Los Angeles. All right, let's start by talking about the what the hells. Let's get the what the hells out of the way. All right. Barbie, yes. what the hell? Greta Gerwig, what the Where's hell? Greta Gerwig? Yes. Uh, um, but- Margot Robbie, like, I need to give the nomination to uh, the supporting actor, Ryan Gosling, and not the lead actress. And also, how does America Ferreira end up with a nomination, too? Yeah, it's a baffling, baffling situation. I don't know the answer for no Margot. I do have a theory about why no Greta. 
and it sucks. You saw a lot of people, I'm sure, pointing out this morning that there is one woman nominated for Best Director this year, but it's not mm-hmm. Greta Gerwig. So I don't know if the just the pool was just so full of men that it got sifted and it ended up being like the two of them on the bubble and it ended up being one of them that survived and Greta Gerwig wasn't it. It's just so strange to me and it just it, it feels weird in my gut because Barbie is so much her movie, not just because she directed it, but she co-wrote it and she made it happen in the way that it exists. It exists because of how much she pushed for it to be the thing she wanted it to be. Like, it's such a strange thing that only exists if Greta Gerwig gets her way. Like, there's no other way this movie exists. So, sure, she's honored for Best Picture and Screenplay here, but I feel like there's something missing in the puzzle almost that she's not up for director for this because she is so responsible for it existing. Of the five nominees... Which three do you then do you replace her with? I mean, I honestly don't know a whole lot uh, about a couple of these movies. So for <laughs> me, that would be an easy move to do. But yes, I think it's fair that if you're a voting populace, it becomes kind of like splitting hairs with how many good movies they wanted to honor the direction mm-hmm. of. It's just, yeah, it's just disappointing to see something that she put her heart and soul in and not have her get the credit for it. And I think this is where, I mean, I don't want to bash Poor Things, I haven't seen it, but Poor Things kind of gets the nominations where you felt like they should have gone to Barbie. Maybe, maybe in not, a popular though, because vote. I actually like that Poor Things comes out of nowhere with these uh, nominations. I like that because I think it goes to show you how much recent momentum that that campaign has, thanks to Emma Stone's performance Mm -hmm. in the last couple of major awards we've been tracking but also just like i think it's weird and it's interesting and i do want weird and interesting things to win oscars that's true i don't necessarily think that it's replaced barbie on these on these lists uh i think that they could have coexisted but if you want my question is and you're not going to like this when i say it okay my question is why is Oppenheimer so strong in these nominations when, if you make an argument about momentum, it has largely lost its momentum? That's my question. Is I'm, I was shocked to see how strong it's represented here. Because Universal put all its momentum behind Oppenheimer. And it's the weird thing of campaigning for a film when it should be based on the merit of the film and not how well someone can, someone or a team campaigns for you to vote for one way or another. Yeah, I mean, you can look at... So I'm reading, actually, a book right now about the history of the Academy Awards. And yeah, I'm not to that era yet, actually. I'm in the 70s right now. Um, <laughs> that starts with New Hollywood, when you get sort of close to the end of the 70s, with Jaws mm-hmm. to the 80s, uh, with Spielberg. And that has yet to, I haven't yet to crest into that, but it will be a fascinating read when I get into that. Cause especially with the nineties and two thousands, when you get into the Miramax era. Yeah. You know who, um, yep, we don't talk guy. about him anymore, but he did establish kind of the modern expectations for marketing a movie for Oscar wins. And it, yeah, you're right. It's a different game now than it used to be. And it is disappointing to see, which is why. Yeah. I, but again, though, I'm surprised, especially with recent history in mind. Who's been really, really, what studio has been really, really good at pushing their films lately? Weirdly, Apple with the Coda mm-hmm. win. So that's why I think that 
My yeah, personal... but that was two years ago. Last year was yeah. everything ever all at once with A24. Right. Yes. A24 here, I believe, is also behind Poor Things. I want to say yes. I think that they're 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 pushing that. Um, Apple has Killers of the Flower Moon as their major entrant this year. Yep. So I think that there's some potential like and then Netflix has there. Uh, Maestro. Right. So yeah, it's it's I think Warner is the question mark here is like where was Warner? Like with all the Barbie push, like they got it to best picture, but I don't know. I'm, I know where it ended up um, out the door with Zaslav <laughs> <laughs> making the cut. <laughs> but yeah, anyways, to kind of wrap up the discussion about, about director, yeah, it sucks um, that Brett is not here because I feel like it's the one, like beyond Margot's inclusion, I think it's the one biggest, in my opinion, uh, blank spot blemish on Barbie's record here when it should have been. Uh, it's slam dunk for her. The other major's omissions, yes, if you want to continue yes. with what you noticed. I'll say, speaking of Ronago, speaking of slam dunks, there's some stuff that you can just circle on here that's going to win already. Yeah. Um, I can see Lily Gladstone, Killers of the Flower Moon, mm. just lead actress, just circle that for now. Are you sure about that? Yeah, we'll see. Remember what I just said about Emma Stone's weird momentum lately? Yes, I know. I know Poor Things has all the um all the, the second most nominations. But there's a reason we see her here and not Leo in the acting, because he's campaigning <laughs> for Lily Gladstone. Yes. There we go. Campaigning again. And the actors are a really good big factor in this. We talk about that every year. The actors are make up a huge voting block and mm-hmm. they can be easily persuaded. Which goes into my next theory about another major snub here. You mentioned there is only one nomination for May-December. Yes, your Charles Melton nomination did not come through. And I think the actors are to blame. Now, I don't want to necessarily throw the entire actors, (laughs) all the actors in Hollywood under the bus here. But I will, because the movie itself is basically a critique on certain actors taking themselves too seriously. Let's put that. There's a huge portion of May-December that is dedicated to that. And I bet a lot of actors took that seriously, took that a little too personally, uh, took that as in a in a Michael Jordan style. And I think that's why you largely don't see May-December here. That's why you don't see it in the writing? Well, beyond writing. This is why beyond I don't writing. think you see Charles Melton. This is why I don't think you see Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman here. This is why it's not up for direction or on Best Picture even. We were watching that countdown, and when they did the 9 out of 10, we were just looking at each other. It's like, are you kidding me? (laughs) They could have used that last one, and they didn't. They refused. Yep. Once again, it ends at 9 and not a full 10 like they could. So stupid. I hate that. But um, but yeah, I'm not like super surprised not to see uh, May-December here, but like at the same time, though, yeah, it's really depressing when you consider how good that Charles Melton performance was and the fact that he's just not going to be honored for it. It's it's disappointing, for sure. Um, other Would you notables, like to send him his own award? Yeah, I'll send, I'll, we'll, we'll make something ourselves and send it to him. Um, I saw <laughs> an, a few other people on the internet point out um, some, some snubs I saw. A lot of people were upset about the Iron Claw not being represented at all. Yep. A24 must have put their eggs in one of the other basket. 
Um, I also note that the in the animated feature, a lot of people upset to not see Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem here. I thought for sure it would get a spot, but then you have something like Robot Dreams here, which I've never heard of. Yeah, I don't know about robot dreams, but hey, at least Wish didn't make it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting to see Elemental instead yeah. of Wish here. Disney is just officially moving on from it, washing their hands of it, which is interesting. Right, otherwise you have Miyazaki versus Pixar versus uh, Netflix, formerly Blue Sky, versus <laughs> right. Sony versus Robot Dreams. Ultimately, this is Boy and the Heron versus Spider-Man. I think we were pretty comfortable saying that. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see whether or not there's enough of a push for Miyazaki here. Remember, he's only won the once, uh, only right. spirited away. And that is still the only Japanese animated film to win the Best Animated Feature Oscar. So it could happen, but I don't know. I feel like history is not on its side. Yes, but seeing as they've been touted this as his final film, hey, I could see a voting block just saying, you know what? They, I want to give it to him because it's the final one. Yes, but they did that 10 years ago with The Wind Rises, which was also marketed as Miyazaki's final film, also nominated and also lost. Also lost, yes. So there's no guarantees. I think that there's a certain amount of momentum coming into it from the Golden Globes, but that's not a guarantee. I thought we didn't talk about the Golden Globes. Well, in this case, it mattered <laughs> just to mention that it has won a major award recently. Um, as major as you want to pretend it is. Yep. Uh, any other snubs you know, you want to make note of? Any other interesting things you want to make note of? Um, in International Feature Film, I mentioned the off podcast, The Zone of Interest, circle mm -hmm. it. It's going to win. <laughs> Probably. Um, and then as for, was it, I think it's documentary feature mm -hmm. i'm calling my shot right now 20 days in mariupol okay circle it that is the uh russia war with ukraine film mm. that would make sense they do typically like to award extremely topical documentaries um that is true um yeah i think that that covers most of the stuff i think off the top of my head I like I like I've been saying. I think I'm going in with assuming that Killers of the Flower Moon is going to have a really good night. Um, I also think Paul Giamatti might finally win an Oscar here. See, that's one I want to call out too, yeah. but I'm not quite sure of yet because he's always sort of a name as of someone who's been around forever, great right. roles, never right. nominated, never and nominated. I don't know, they did it to Jamie Lee Curtis last year and got her an yeah. Oscar, so I can see the true. same thing here for uh, role, Paul Giamatti. I think where she did way less than what Paul Giamatti does here, so I think she, I think he has a shot. Right, I don't know. Stephanie Sue should have won last year instead, but yes. that's here and there. Water under the bridge, as they say. Um, so yeah, um, lots to look forward to overall. I think a pretty, I don't know, predictable uh, bunch of nominees beyond the poor things surprises and the obvious snubs. Uh, yeah, does I'm Just Ken win original song? I think it does. I don't think it should, but I think it does because it's super memorable and people vote for what they remember. Over what was I made for? Do you think they split the Barbie vote? 
Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think you have as much of a problem with that with original song. I think you can look back at previous examples and it rarely it rarely works that way. Remember, there were two La La Land songs entered and one of them still won. There were two songs from, uh, uh, I believe, A Star is Born, and it's still one. So, right. and if you go back into the Disney Renaissance era, several years, there were multiple songs from those movies nominated, and they would often win anyways. I don't think multiple entries is really a way to, uh, is an automatic rule out in that category. All right. We'll see. And last question for you. Pick your screenplays. Oh, that's a tough one um, because of where they kind of landed. A lot of people were surprised that you don't see Killers of the Flower Moon here. Mm -hmm. um, I think that that would have been an easier pick than what we're given. I um, think it goes to Barbie because it's where Greta Gerwig is nominated for it. I think you're right. I think you're right. They gotta at least admit that that that's where she like she worked the hardest there. Mm -hmm. Original, although that does give us an Oscar to Noah Baumbach. Do we want that? It does. It does do that. But he's already had one, yeah, or two, or I don't know how many. Um, original is a little trickier. I don't know a whole lot about Anatomy of a Fall. This is maybe where you see past lives. Okay. I feel like it doesn't have momentum in a lot of the other categories, but it might win out here. I don't, as much strong as I think the screenplay, as strong and weird as I think the screenplay for May December is, I just don't see it winning. As much Maybe as I like for it the too. holdovers, which you also liked, I really like the holdovers. I think it's a good script, but I think that it's not as showy, and I don't think I think it will get ignored. I think. At the end of the day, it depends on how much people remember if they like Alexander Payne or not. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Um, so I think of these, especially of the nine nominated for Best Picture, we have seen two, technically three, but that third one is like a half Killers of Flower Moon and a half Maestro. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, otherwise it's we've seen Barbie, Holdovers, and Oppenheimer. Yeah. By next week, I will have finished uh Killers of the Flower Moon and Maestro. And Same. maybe something else. We'll see if I have time. But yeah, that's my plan. Yep. And then um I'm going to try and watch Anatomy of a Fall because yeah. it's courtroom drama. <laughs> and I am very interested in it. Yeah. Now that I know what it is, and now that I see that's nominated. <laughs> So yeah, um, cool. that covers our brief introduction of the Oscar nominations, which happened today. The actual voting for nominations don't occur for another month, which right. gives everyone voting a chance to actually watch all these films. All the pressers and releases um, get sent out to everyone to watch at their own leisure of their home. And then voting happens on February 22nd through the 24th with the actual ceremony occurring on March 10th. So let the awards race begin. Yes, and we, of course, will continue our tradition of having our nominations, uh, nomination predictions, or sorry, winning predictions, up on the site right before the, uh, the awards actually take place in March. So watch this space. Those will be up very soon. All right, let's move on 
you watched a movie that will probably not be awarded any major awards. Uh, tell me about Queen Pins. This is a Netflix film about couponing. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, this, this one stars Kristen Bell as a former Olympic athlete turned extreme couponer. <laughs> yeah. To the extreme couponing is part of eventually bribing someone from the factory of coupons to <laughs> give them uh, free coupons and then sell it as a business. And the uh, comedic both troubles and downfalls and pitfalls that come with it. Mm -hmm. But also with the uh, comedic eh, detective part of trying to find them and realize, oh, these are just a bunch of idiots, aren't they? <laughs> everyone's a bunch of idiots when they're trying to like scam a system yeah uh so it's it's labeled as a comedy because a lot of the comedians are in here john McHale's in here uh vince vaughn is in here jack mcbriar shows up randomly in here as well sure uh so it's it's a comedy but at the same time it also feels a bit like a bumbling kind of comedy to where it's like oh like I'm just going to watch this and just going to have fun with like where it goes and like how they just fumble into this mess of, yeah. of trying to like be better, trying to like game the system through coupons. Cause technically they're legitimate coupons just gained by illegitimate needs. Mm. So it's a, that's a fine comedy. It's an hour and a half. I put it on. I watched it. I had fun by the time I got to the end of it. Uh, I think Kristen Bell's really like sweet and endearing in this thing. Uh, <laughs> Joel McHale's in it for just the right amount to where it's like, yes, I understand you're the douche in here, but also you're the right amount of douche in this uh, that I need. <laughs> and then Vince Vaughn comes out out of nowhere, out of left field, and I'm like, oh, okay, so you are going to lean like heavily into this is totally idiotic and yet endearing. And it comes out, it comes across that way at the end. Uh, like he said, not going to be nominated anywhere, but oh, I did yeah. have at least a good time watching Queen Pins. Okay. Is this based on some sort of true story? Because it sounds it's, vaguely familiar. It's based on a true story, yes. Um, okay. And if you're a fan of um, The Good Place, it does involve White Trash Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And, 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 you know, Kristen Bell knows. Yes. Like, that's where her bread <laughs> is buttered. So, well, there you go. Yep. And that's on... Um, was that on Netflix? Netflix. Yeah. Netflix? Okay, cool. Because I watched that instead of uh, Maestro. Yeah, you 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 ate your dessert instead of doing your homework. I yes, see yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We'll do our homework before next week. Don't worry. Don't yell we'll, at us. We'll be ready before the actual awards happen. Yep, we will have full thoughts on that before the actual awards. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's move on then uh, from movies into television. And we always start the television section with the sports corner. Sports. Big sports. sports. Big sports block. Big sports. Your biggest news story in sports is actually the absence of sports, specifically the absence of sports on your newsstand. Yes, we've got bad news for everybody who hasn't already heard. The Authentic Brands Group has revoked Sports Illustrated's license to publish due to a missed $3.75 million payment. As a result of the move, the entire staff of the 70-year-old print and online publication was notified on Friday that their jobs were being eliminated. So 
Pour one out for Sports Illustrated, a staple of sports coverage, a staple of 14-year-old boys' bedrooms uh, every time the um, uh, swimsuit, swimsuit edition comes editions. out. Yep. And just a, a pop culture legend. Like, if you everybody knows what Sports Illustrated is. Mm -hmm. Everybody's read at least one Sports Illustrated in their life. It'd be weird if you didn't. It just was always there. It was always around in the ether as this is the magazine for sports. Sports Illustrated was the publication that helped break the story of MLB doping scandal. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, anytime there was a big, um, big shakeup in the sports world, you can always point it back to journalists from yeah. Sports Illustrated for it. Yeah. And now that brand is gone. Technically, they've been gone for like four years since uh, they got sold, uh, since time broke up Monopoly and got sold, mm -hmm. uh, which is why it's Authentic Brands Group, which owns the trademark for it. But still, they were still operating as a typical business under the Sports right. Illustrated licensing. It's just sad to see because it's such an institution and it's such also an indicator of where we're at with the media industry. We'll talk a little bit more about this in the music section as well, but it just seems to be... Already, we're only a few weeks into 2024, and it just seems that, like, all these institutions of journalism are falling apart for one reason or another, and it's really, really tough to see. Side to this, I just saw about an hour ago, LA Times laying off 70 people yes. as well. Yes, that news hit today. A lot of their kind of offshoot publications as part of the paper are getting hurt by that, too. Mm -hmm. So if you had certain... Sports beats that you followed, if you had certain music beats that you followed, those are likely where those layoffs took place. So my one kind of me like message, I guess, to people who are really sad about this is there's a couple of places where you can do good to help people who are still doing great sports journalism. The Athletic is the number mm -hmm. one place to go. It seems they've got really quality reporting over there, and they even will have specific local beats as part of their national coverage so you can go to there and pretty much get exactly what you're looking for uh for um subscription price but it'll be worth the subscription price and you'll be helping them continue to do good sports journalism yeah. also say there's a lot of good stuff on youtube um i mean you're of course in that universe so you know mm -hmm. probably better than i do but that's gonna be where it's gonna be uh like up to the minute sports journalism is now going to become less text and more video. I just think that it's an unfortunate side effect of the way this is going. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not just that, but Sports Illustrated uh, six months ago, four months ago, October, when was that? Four months ago, um, got busted for using AI Yes. Uh, scripts to write some of their publications too. I honestly saw this story as the other shoe dropping from that story. I yeah. felt like they were already trying to figure out how to let this let them down easy. And that reason was, well, we'll just pay them less and get AI stories on our website. Ultimately, it just wasn't enough. Nope. So sad. Yeah, Very big, sad. Poor big big news. Yeah. But Those there's <laughs> News. Yes, there's other stuff we got to talk about with sports this week. Next up, Live Golf. Hey, remember Live Golf? They've paid for U.S. Integrity to monitor the betting market for Live Golf. Yes, as the headline said, uh, Live Golf pays for U.S. Integrity. 
Yeah, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought it was hilarious too. I was like, yeah. what is this? Um, but yeah, Live Golf didn't get into the sports betting. They want to uh, monitor who's betting on what mm-hmm. players. And then, you know, once they have a world golf tour up and running, just do their own betting on the market right. or on their own players. Like we've talked about on this podcast before, the leagues are getting in on betting stuff. And this makes yep. sense to go direct instead of going having all the action take place where you don't get a cut. So it makes sense for them to do that uh, as well, regardless of the legitimacy of Live Golf. Yes. And whatever entity becomes merged with Live Golf and PGA. Right. But speaking of the PGA. Speaking of the PGA, Nick Dunlap made history as the first amateur to win a PGA Tour since 1991. It's happened this past weekend at WGA West, a.k.a. the Arnold Palmer course in La Quinta, California. Oh, I love an Alder, Arnold Palmer. Just get yes, some, some iced tea lemonade in there. Yep. Um, first time since 1991. Do you know who that player amateur was who won in 1991? 91? Yes. It's too early for Tiger Woods, is it? It is. Okay, so then I have no Tiger idea. Uh, Tiger Woods' rival, Phil Mickelson. Uh... Yes. Uh, but interesting, because he is an amateur, he does not get any of the $1.5 million purse that comes with winning the tournament. Because mm-hmm. if he took that money, he is no longer considered an amateur. <laughs> What is the benefit of him being an amateur? Just more titles? Yeah. Okay. And you can compete in uh, college, too. Oh, okay. Because you cannot compete in college sports as a professional athlete. That makes sense. You're a professional athlete when you are paid. Right. (laughs) Well, I don't know. We'll check back on that idea in a few months. Yes, we'll check back on on NIL in a couple days. Right. (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll get there. Um, Moving on, the Australian Open continues with final matches played up this upcoming weekend. The men's ranked one number one to four advanced to their sem- their semifinals, and number two ranked Anya Sabalenka will be showing off against number four ranked Coco Goff, media vote favorite Coco Goff. This is the first time that the top four ranked players in the men's division have all advanced to the semifinals hmm. in a single tournament. Cool. It's super rare that that happens, but it's also super kind of funny that, that hey, <laughs> you wanted to see the best play against the best? Here you go. One through four. You can't get any better than that. <laughs> On the other side, in the women's division, you get number four versus number two. And whoever wins this semifinal match, probably going to win the whole thing because on the other side of the bracket are two unranked players. Ah, okay. Well, fair enough. All right. So those are the big headlines. Moving to the uh, league headlines here. The NFL, the AFC championship is set. We have the number one ranked Ravens against the number three Chiefs. What, is, what are you feeling there? Ooh. <laughs> Should have been the Bills. Should have been the Bills. Um, Should have been the Bills. I don't know. How is uh, Taylor Swift feeling about this one? Well, now she has to figure out where Baltimore is on a map. I think she knows where Baltimore is. She just did a worldwide tour. <laughs> and was one of the stops good. in Baltimore? I, I don't think, think so. so. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't keep track. Um, what do you think uh, this matchup looks like? Uh, I mean, you have former MVP Patrick Mahomes versus former MVP Lamar Jackson. 
Lamar Jackson literally got paid this offseason a bunch of money because he told the Ravens, pay me my money and I will get you back to the Super Bowl. And he is literally one game away from making that promise a reality. All right. So so you're thinking. And then on the other side, you have the Chiefs who have been in the AFC championship game six years in a row now. Right. Well, how where are you leaning? Where are you leaning? Do you think that the Ravens can do it? I hope the Ravens do it. I want to see the Ravens win the Super Bowl. I kind of want to see the Ravens win the Super Bowl because then you have Jim Harbaugh win the NCAA championship. And then a month later, John Harbaugh win the (laughs) NFL championship. Harbaugh dynasty. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Harbaugh trophies. Because otherwise it's going to be an awkward Thanksgiving saying, hmm, (laughs) I need an extra chair for my trophy. Do you, brother? Oh, you don't? Oh, I'm sorry. You don't need an extra <laughs> chair for your trophy, do you now? Hmm. Maybe you should go ask Taylor Swift for her trophy. Hmm. <laughs> Something like that. Something like sorry, that. Sorry, so now I'm just thinking of the, um, now that I'm all caught up on the bear, now I'm just thinking of the Christmas dinner episode. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully nobody throws any forks. All right, uh, let's move on. Don't worry, those get polished. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to give you my thoughts about season two of the Bear when we get yes. the thoughts. Um, all right, but, but on the other side, <laughs> NFC Championship, which is also happening, your uh, uh, favorite team to hate on the 49ers, uh versus the Lions, still going somehow. Uh this has now become the number one pick of 2016 <laughs> versus the. Number 258th pick of 2022. Yep. Uh, number one overall versus Mr. Irrelevant in the yeah. NFC Championship game. Mr. Not So Irrelevant anymore is, I guess, what we should call him. No, no, no. <laughs> He's still a pretty little boy. Uh, basically, everyone outside of the Bay Area is rooting for the Lions in this. Right. It's a comeback. They love story. that story. It's an underdog story. Yeah. Underlying story, but yes. Underlying. Yeah, I would, I would love to see the Lions win this. Just to just to change it up, a Lions Ravens Super Bowl is such a weird thing to think about. It is. This <laughs> is why I wanted the uh, the Bills in there because yeah. then you root for the Bills and the Lions, and then you have a Super Bowl of the Bills versus Lions, and whoever wins gets their first ever championship for yeah. for the franchise. But and it's great to see something like that happens. But no, Tyler Bass had to miss the 30-yard kick because of the wind. And Mahomes just had to give the ball to Pacheco to run out the clock, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think the most boring thing that could happen is, is a Chiefs Niners yes, Super Bowl. If it's a Chiefs Lions Super Bowl, yes, it will be unfortunate for the Lions, but at least it'll be interesting. At least it'll be the nail-biting beginning where you're like, they could could they actually do it? And then Mahomes right. does Mahomes things and everybody's sad. Right, but, Mahomes throws his favorite play of pass right. interference and they, they win <laughs> on a field goal. Right, exactly. It, and it, then Taylor Swift somehow ends up on the field up in the right. podium giving a tro- kissing a trophy. So, you right. know, that's what they want to happen. That's what they want to happen. But we have to prevent them from doing it. Yes, that's why Ravens-Lions, because it's such an yes, odd pairing of teams. That it just makes for a good cha- a good championship. Yes. So we'll put our, our energy towards making that happen. We'll secret it. We'll come back next week and see how wrong we were. Yeah, exactly. 
All right, let's move on because we have to talk about baseball because we have to follow up on something we talked about last week. And boy, wow, did we not see this twist half coming, did we? So last week on <laughs> Tuesday, we talked about how uh, Diamond Sports Group and the MLB mm-hmm. proper were going to go into arbitration in yes. two days. Well, well, they never made it to two day to Thursday's arbitration meeting. No, that Friday meeting has been pushed back indefinitely, according to the league, because Diamond Sports Group, the regional sports operator for 37 teams across the MLB, the NHL, and the NBA, announced the partnership directly with Amazon that, if approved in court, would place local games on Prime Video and allow the company to emerge from bankruptcy in a reimagined state. Diamond revealed that it had secured $450 million from creditors to fund this reorganization plan, plus an additional $115 million provided by a new minority investor in Amazon. Okay, so to be clear, what we're referring to is apparently the league didn't know this was happening. They released a statement shortly after this happened, a few hours after this was announced by Diamond and Amazon. They released a joint statement, I believe, is how this went out. Yep. Um, Because, again, I want to stress that they did that deal directly. Amazon came to Diamond, invested in the company, and their stipulation was Diamond gets to keep their existing agreements. No changes exist to their day-to-day operations. But with the new money funneled in, they will be able to continue and renew all their deals. With one stipulation on Amazon's part, those games will be broadcast on streaming. Those networks become streaming networks that you can presumably pay for on Amazon Prime on top of the existing cable deals and their existing streaming network. So yep. where the twist comes is, yes, again, the league, Major League Baseball later said that day that they did not know about this and thus they needed to push back the meeting they were going to have with Diamond because they need to process all this new news. Because if you remember what we talked about last week, their plan, their master plan was keep Bally alive just for the season. For one year, for 2024. And everyone in 2025 Mm -hmm. gets streaming under MLB's new setup. Right. Because ultimately the league wants to take control of the rights. They Mm -hmm. want to eventually be the arbiter of these baseball rights, not Diamond. They want to have the flexibility to take, say, the Angels uh, and say, hey, Apple TV, do you want to make a direct deal with us for Angels games? Hey, Amazon, do you want to make a direct deal for such a, uh, these other teams? Let's talk about that. And they become the dealer of those light rights, probably as they should be as the league that owns the rights. Similar to how NFL made the deal with YouTube yeah. for NFL Sunday Ticket, where it's just one place yeah. you can watch all the games. Of course, it should be noted really quick that the NFL is actually the outlier in how it does team rights. Most of the other leagues, the league is more of an organizational outfit, and the individual organizations own their own intellectual property. That's how baseball Mm -hmm. is, but not how football is, from my understanding. You can correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I think that's roughly how it kind of happened over time. Well, yeah, because baseball's been around for a lot longer, so when early TV was around mm-hmm. and you still had the regional networks of right. like Boston was separate from LA, separate from Miami, separate from Texas, that right. the sports organizations, the sports themselves 
uh, the teams themselves made the deals with the uh, uh, TV companies in yeah. order to broadcast. Yeah. It's why at the end of a football game, you have that whole copyright spiel about don't distribute it this because it's the NFL's property. Mm-hmm. And after an Angels radio broadcast, it says this is property of Angels baseball. That's the difference is yeah. that there's there's different ownership going on. But so, yes, yeah, so the league had a plan here. This throws a wrench in that plan because Amazon and this other investors are keeping Diamond alive, which is the last thing that the league wanted. The league wanted to keep them, give, put them on life support essentially for a year and then get everything inherited. That's not going to happen if Diamond still is a threat, <laughs> per se. <laughs> if Diamond still exists and has the money to renew these deals, the league's never going to get it unless the league pays them to take them away, which I don't know if they're going to want to do. They want to operate where they're still making income from these deals. So Amazon undercut the league. They basically cut the league out of the deal that the league was going to make. They basically were like, no, we're going to go directly because as we previously reported, they went to the league first and the league said no. The league said, no, Amazon, you can't do this because we want to do this other thing. And we then will make a deal with you in 2025. But they were impatient. Amazon said, nope, 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 nope. Why why do I have to wait a whole year? Let me just go do this right now. So they went and to the source. undercut you. Yeah. Yep. So the question now remains, there's a two questions, really. Two question marks. One, you mentioned that there's going to be some sort of court uh, that will determine whether or not Amazon can do this. Yes. That's number one. The if approved in court. And number two, obviously the league is powerful enough that they could stop this from happening. I don't know if they will. You did have... Good. Yeah, could. I don't know if they will, because last year we talked a little bit about how even the commissioner had some quotes about how he was still, he was like rethinking blackout dates and rethinking the streaming future of the sport and at least leaving the door open to a conversation about this. Amazon might have just forced the league's hand. They might have just basically said, well, sorry, we're picking this door open and we're going to show you that this is going to be a model that works. If this gets approved, the league could be looking at this and be like, wow, so many people are watching the, our games on Amazon Prime now that it's something you can just easily sign up for and watch. And that might change their minds. In foil hat. <laughs> um, because Diamond Sports Group is owned by Bally's and Bally's is a gambling company. Yeah. This is just a huge gamble on their end and a huge bluff because they know it's not going to pass muster. Yeah. And it's just them trying to delay until they can secure a different kind of funding uh, because they already got 450 from uh, creditors. So mm-hmm. they just need another 100 right. million or so from somewhere else. Maybe someone else wants to invest uh, it directly into Diamond Sports Group. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, it's not just yeah. Amazon, but yeah. Uh, it's interesting. And, and, <laughs> we have yeah. two months to watch this space because yeah, broadcasting begins whispering training at the end of February. <laughs> I think no matter what, though, there's a little bit of a consolation for people who are still cable subscribers here. Because I think that if you still have a cable subscription to your Bally Sports channel of choice, you will not stop being able to watch your team. It seems like no matter what, They've been funded, and they will continue airing games through the 2024 season. That much we can say, I think, pretty comfortably. 
I whether so. or not the Amazon stuff happens, we have to wait. And whether or not the league says something about that Amazon thing, we have to wait. But I think if you are just intending on watching the cable feed of your Bally station, I think you will be able to do that uninterrupted. I think that that will be fine. So yeah, but um, for the rest of us, we're kind of waiting until those first spring training games to see whether we can even watch them. So just a little over a month away. And we'll have to wait and see. I'm trying to see if this, if this was signed over the past like day or two. <laughs> I feel uh, like we would have seen it. Yeah. No, no, nothing concrete. Yeah. Just yeah, no, no, no initial comment, no further comments. Okay. Right. We so have to wait. watch the space. We have, like I said, we have a month until pitchers and catchers start reporting for spring training. <laughs> yep. So just wait on that. And that also means that broadcasting trucks have to start reporting <laughs> for spring training. Yeah. So we'll see. Who knows? All right. Let's move on to a less tumultuous sport here. Let's talk about the NBA. The Golden Star, maybe not. Uh, the Golden State Warriors <laughs> assistant coach, unfortunately, Dehan Milojevic. Milojevic. Um, suddenly died, and uh, that has forced the team to reschedule several of their games. Uh, this was sudden, so this happened last week. Shook the NBA world. Golden State Warriors postponing a couple games to later in the season. But yeah, just random. I think it was a heart attack. Just died. Mm. Yeah. That's rough. And it's yeah. got to be a lot of people scrambling right now to figure out what they're going to do. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. So condolences to the family and, of course, the whole team, because I feel like everybody is impacted by that kind of thing. And it does kind of throw your whole season off of off kilter. So if you see the Gold State Warriors wear the black band on the jersey, mm -hmm. that is what it represents. Got it. All right. Moving on to hockey. We mentioned about the Edmonton Oilers win streak. Well, it has continued into 13 wins. Uh, they play later today to try and make it 14, but the streak continues. And streak we'll watch this base for the streak to end. <laughs> Anyways, or not. Um, Maybe it'll never end. Who knows? Um, they do have a couple weeks until, actually, yeah, two weeks until the All-Star break, which is uh, February 1st, next Thursday. So watch this base. And then we'll give you uh, the All-Star updates next week. All right. We'll... Keep an eye on that. And then lastly, in our uh, uh, columns here, you could call them, um, uh, we have college football update. Basketball. So, sorry, you did not specify. Oh, there's the word basketball. <laughs> in there. Basketball update. College basketball. We haven't talked about college basketball in a while. Well, you better. March Madness is right around the corner. <laughs> UConn, Purdue, North Carolina, Kansas, and Houston top the basketball AP slash coaches poll. Uh, both the AP poll and the coaches poll. Uh, typically, you do see UConn, North Carolina, Kansas, and more recently, Houston in this poll. But look at those Boilermakers over there in Purdue making it number <laughs> two. <laughs> yes, so. So congratulations to those top five. Um, we will see which of four of you will remain and become top seeds in March Madness. All right. 
All right. So that ends sports, but we have a sports adjacent story to get to real quick. Because you don't count this as sports, you count this as sports entertainment. Sports entertainment. This weekend, get ready for 30 men and 30 women enter the ring, but only one will survive. Yes. It's the Royal Rumble weekend. It's the Royal Rumble weekend. But if that's not enough wrestling for you, well, don't worry. Netflix has your back. Because (laughs) the big story this week was that the WWE has struck a $500 million a year deal for 10 years with Netflix that will see WWE Raw airing exclusively on Netflix beginning in January of 2025 next year. Doing the math on that, that is a $5 billion deal. That's a lot of money. Over 10 years. So that will mark the first time in the league's three-decade history that Raw has not aired new episodes on linear television network. The deal designates Netflix the home for all WWE shows and specials outside the U.S., including Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, as well as tentpole events like WrestleMania, SummerSlam, and Royal Rumble. In case you didn't realize the, the wording there, the U.S. deals are different because we already know that a lot of that stuff is on Peacock, as that deal pre-existed. Yes, this is $500 million a year for the global distribution of WWE. Right, international stuff is why this matters. And that's why it's so much. Yeah, exactly. This is the third WWE media deal struck over the last few months, joining SmackDown, which has departed Fox for USA Network, and NXT swapping USA for the CW. Or sorry, CW, I guess now? Whatever. Both NXT and SmackDown. Oh, in the logo, at least. But I think they're officially still referring to it as the CW, but the logo dropped the the. They they pulled a a social network. Um, And SmackDown will move to their respective homes in October of this year. So there you go. Yep. Uh, In the U.S., you can still, for the time being, watch SmackDown on Fox until it goes to USA in October. You can still watch all pay-per-view events streaming on Peacock in the U.S. Until 2025, when the global rights go to Netflix. And hopefully in a year, they will have better... uh, Netflix will have a better shot at airing something live. Yeah. Because... We also what happened last year when they tried to do a reality show reunion. Yes. <laughs> that failed that terribly for no. Love is Blind reunion, and no one could watch it. <laughs> no. It was embarrassing. So, super embarrassing. So, WWE looked at that example and said, yes, I want them to run our global distribution for wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Maybe they'll figure it out. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe the WWE is blind. <laughs> Maybe so. All right. Although, anyway. would they want to be on a place where they have both the circle <laughs> and bring in the square? Where they circle <laughs> the square? They always love to circle that square. Uh, yes, I can always see the crossover happening. <laughs> WWE superstars invade the circle. <laughs> it could happen honestly 
All right, let's move on. Um, we do have another brief story in television. This is a little bit of follow-up from the Emmys, actually. Um, a lot of people noted the big win for Trevor Noah for The Daily Show. Yeah. Um, but there's some underlying drama happening behind the scenes with The Daily Show. After holding a year-long host-off among various celebrities to find the next face of its signature, The Daily Show, Comedy Central is going to try a new recipe. Those looking for an immediate successor for Noah as host won't find one, at least not yet. Chris McCarthy, the Paramount Global president, is said to have informed talent representatives that The Daily Show will rely more heavily on a newsroom concept with a group of correspondents leading the program instead of a single host. The show's current roster of correspondents include Desi Lydic, Ronnie Chang, Michael Costa, and Dolce Sloan. So the theory is from what I've heard from people talking about this on Twitter, is that they don't want to pay for a full-time host at the moment. They're mm -hmm. trying to cut costs by keeping the staff that's there and not promoting anybody to a higher pay grade to do so. Yeah, it's a little yeah. disappointing. Um, considering that Paramount is also home of CBS, which also just recently launched a new late yes. night show, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Yes, we will. And seeing how that new show is now bringing in more ratings on a lower budget mm -hmm. makes them rethink the Daily Show over on uh, Comedy Central. Yeah, which is just a poor—I don't say poor decision, but it's hard to see what was once a institution of a channel, especially on uh, cable of Comedy Central for new and exciting shows basically just now all of a sudden crumbled to the last two pillars of The Daily Show and South Park. Right. And even The Daily Show pillar is not as strong. And even The South Park pillar is having its own legal trouble, which we talked about last year. Yeah. I mean, it's sad if you like that kind of like idea where it's like, oh yeah, shows have hosts. Like, I feel like we're going into a scary future where that might not be the case. Which, yes, brings us um, to we should talk about Afterman. Because yeah. the big question here is when we talked about initially them pitching this um, and how it was going to replace a late night time slot and how they're going to give a hosting gig to Taylor Tomlinson, who in my opinion is somebody who deserves it, only to present it as a game show. And even that's kind of a loose uh like explanation of what it is and basically just a revival of an old show that nobody remembers uh so i watched the first episode of this as well um where'd you land on the vibe of this thing i probably land more positive on you because i end up watching a lot more episodes okay. <laughs> okay uh from it well i don't have access to the full episodes beyond the one they posted on youtube that's okay. They post all the bits on YouTube anyway. Yeah, but I don't anyway. want to watch multiple videos. Why not? You just play them one right after the other. Who cares if they're <laughs> out of order? The points don't matter. It's true. Also, I'm not sure if I want to watch more of it. Oh, you soured on it. Here's where I'm at with After Midnight. Um, I think the At Midnight, there's not really a huge problem with the At Midnight show as a concept. I just don't think it's for me. Um, that's kind of where I ultimately am. I liked a lot of the people that they've had on it, a lot of names I'm familiar with, a lot of really funny people. I like Taylor Tomlinson as a host. However, the whole time I was just thinking in my mind, man, 
How stupid is it that they just didn't give her a talk show? Because she'd be so good at it. I think that that first episode proved one thing. She is the funniest person in that room. I thought that the jokes that you could tell that she clearly wrote were the best jokes. Um, I felt that she has a has a like a knack for it. I think she's a good at what this it what it is asked for. But I feel like she's hamstrung by the fact that she has to run a game show. That's the vibe it's, I got. It is because it's part game show, yeah. like two minutes of a talk show where she yeah. asks like what they're doing, what they're up to, it's and then back a... to let let's make jokes. I just wanted more of that dynamic. I wanted her just talking to these people, and you don't get her talking to those people. Instead, that's not what the show's can... going after, though. I the know, and that's to... what I'm saying is, is that's why I led with it's not the show's fault. It's not the format's fault. I just wish that we lived in a world where she got to do that, because I think she'd be really good at it. It's disappointing to me that she's not been given an opportunity to actually have a real late night show. And ultimately... The structure to me impedes my fun with it. I feel like I have less fun with it than I could by not just having these people just have the freedom to talk, but they have to feel like they have to have all these prompts. It feels like constant speed bumps over the funny when I'd rather just have the funny. I think what you're describing is pilot and first run bumps. Maybe. There's a little gap. Because that pilot is bumpy. There's yeah. lots of times in that pilot where she goes, wait, can we do that? Am I allowed to do that? <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, well, I'll just do it anyways. I appreciate those no- moments, though, because I like the transparency. I like that she was yeah. showing the process. Because, um, again, she's a better. very funny, a likable person, and I wish that she had a format that better served her, you know? It does get better. She does get, uh, the show does get more into a rhythm. Um, with between like jokes and then interview and then pe- the contestants riffing off of each other uh, rather than trying to make up their own um, content. It is content, let me riff off of that and then close their, their joke, riff yeah. off of it, um, rule of thirds for comedy. Uh, so it does get better. Um, I think yeah. that the more it's the more it's developed, uh, the more they're still trying to, uh, pardon the phrase, but throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. I mean, yes. Um, especially in terms of which uh, segments are, are good, which segments are bad, where, when they pull stuff from TikTok, from Instagram, from Twitter, X, whatever, Facebook, of, hey, do we want to pull in more from this site or this site? Do we use this handle or that handle? Um, which... which they're still trying to find that footing, but at least I can see the process getting better with each episode. Yeah. So I am more positive on this than you. Yeah. Uh, but but again, yeah, I, I, I just don't have an easy, without Paramount Plus, I don't have an easy way where I can just queue up these full episodes and I'm not going to do it on YouTube, no matter what you say. So, but it's on YouTube, but it's on at, after Midnight's direct channel. They're the ones uploading this in segments. I, understand that but i'm still, giving them watch wanna, views it's not how i want to watch television i want to watch television on television so i don't uh, know that's how i watch seth meyer segments so what's the yeah. problem here <laughs> again i'd rather watch them on peacock where i can watch them in full so i'm just old i guess is what i'm getting at but also i just yeah i just wish better for taylor Tomlinson because I, th- I like her a lot and i just wish she was this was 10 years ago and she would have given what she'd do that's all i'm saying 
Any other uh, shows we need to uh, talk about this week? Uh, you finished season two of the best show on television. And do you yeah. agree that it is the uh, best show on television? You know, yes and no. Where I land No, no, no. The- There's no yes and no. It is yes, full stop. Give the bear its due. All right. So, yes, I'll be really brief on this because I know we have to move on. Yes. Uh, but, yes, I finished the bear. I am all caught up. I finished season two. And who boy, I was not expecting the end of season two to be to feel the way it did. I thought that the uh, that it was going to be like the end of season one, where there was a feeling of of uh, we figured it out, like a feeling of finality, a figure of like all we we went on a journey to have a high, basically to be on a high and end on a high note with the future and being hopeful for the future. There's not a whole lot of hope for the future at the end of season two of the bear. There's like a glimmer of it. There's one plot thread that's fully resolved that you're like, okay, I feel a little like, like at peace with maybe some of the family dynamic here. But there's also a big question mark about some other family dynamics and a big question mark about whether or not it worked out for the restaurant at all and what's going to happen with your main character. And so by the end of it, I felt not necessarily empty, but I felt like a little confused, not confused because I know what happened. I understood what happened. I felt a little lost at sea, I guess, where I was just like emotionally, like not again, not cognitively because I followed what was happening and I know what's happening, but I felt like there was not that emotional catharsis I was expecting. And it really put me in a weird mood after I finished it. So I think that's why I don't feel like, hell yeah, the bear. I feel like, damn, the bear, like what the fuck just (laughs) happened? That's, that's um, part of the fun, though, is that yeah. it's meant to evoke this realism of not everything mm-hmm. ends on one note or the other. Right. Not everything has a happy ending. Not everything has a full conclusion. Yeah. Sometimes things just end, and you're not sure why they ended. Yeah. I mean, that's why they have the whole family dynamic of yes. uh, the the feast of the fishes, seven fishes. Right. Uh, so, sometimes yeah, things just bring... happen, and things yes. end, and you there's no explanation for it. Yeah, I want to talk about... There's need to be a conclusion for it. Yeah, I want to talk about that episode in particular in a moment. Yes, and why it was 90 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Overall, uh, my feeling about the whole season, I thought it was a pretty good season. I liked some moments of it more than season one, uh, but I like some of season one a little bit more than some moments. I don't know. I feel like it works as a piece together. It's harder to distinguish the two seasons as two individual parts because of how linked they are. Um... Yeah, there were some really high highs. There were some a couple episodes near the beginning of the season that I felt like felt fillery to me. But once it got rolling, it really got rolling. And yeah, so those last handful, like those last four episodes, I think, yeah, you're right, are really good television. Like, I think they nailed the production of it. They nailed so much. The acting is spectacular. But yeah, I want to talk about fishes. <laughs> uh I went into season one knowing that a lot of people are like, oh, the show's really stressful. The show's really intense. Like, it's make it like if you're anxious, maybe like know that going in because it could, like, especially. I also saw a lot of people like, if you've worked in the restaurant industry, this is bring, gonna bring up a lot of trauma. So I went in thinking I would that I would there would be moments of uh, discomfort. Not really. Season one was not really that hard for me. 
Um, I've worked in customer service, but thank God I haven't worked in the back of a restaurant. So I was not necessarily as like in tune to some of that stuff as a lot of people I think are. And for the most part, season two was the same way, except for that episode. <laughs> that was an uncomfortable watch. A lot of it was very uncomfortable for me. And the fact that it's also, like you mentioned, the longest episode of the entire series is an endurance test. It was an endurance test for me because there was a lot of moments where you just have to watch, uh, I mean, not to use a cooking metaphor here, but the pot boil over. Yep. And you just have to sit there and watch it and it just keeps boiling over and you see everybody be uncomfortable at that table. And you just have to deal with it because you have to sit and watch. I did like how the episode does feel full circle and I do like how you get, like I mentioned, payoff in the finale for one of the major plot points in that episode. You do kind of get a resolution of sorts for at least one of those characters, even though in the episode, you feel like that character is not going to be redeemed. Like you feel like that character is irredeemable. Yes. I'm talking about the J.B. Lee Curtis character. Um, I'm trying to remain spoiler free in case people who are like me didn't watch this and maybe Mm -hmm. want to. So I'm not going to give away exactly what's going on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yes, if I want to get into a therapist corner real quick, maybe there is a little bit of trauma, my own family trauma that may be coming out of that, that and maybe that's why I felt a little bit more uncomfortable. <laughs> maybe, who knows? Um, but but yes, I will say that it was quite an endurance test for me. And it definitely, by the end of it, I was just like, oh boy, I need to take a break. I definitely did something else after that episode instead of just <laughs> rolling right into that next one as like yeah. I could have. But besides though, besides that one though, I did marathon most of season two, back to back to back to back, because it just kept me gripped. I was just like, I need to know what's going to happen. I need to know if these people will get their thing, because I think that the number one thing that the show does best, it makes you really care for these characters. It really makes you spend time with all these characters, and like, and you do end up really loving them, and they feel like family to you, and you really want them to succeed, regardless of the baggage that they have, and regardless of poor decisions they may have made, which I think is why I felt so weird about the finale, because I care a lot about certain characters who end up at the end of that episode feeling even worse than they did before it started. (laughs) And I didn't love that. Not saying that that's a bad choice. Like you said, I think it fits the, the show because the show itself is about how everything, all of this is a work in progress about how all of this is not going to mess. You're not going to know by the end of this, where everything stands, nor should you. You should be able to work through it. It's a process. You need to communicate with people you love. You need to remind the people you love that you love them. You need to work with them, not against them. That's what the bear is saying. And so I get that part of that, that queasiness is part of it. But I do wonder what they're going to do at the beginning of season three to at least address this character and how he must feel about basically just literally being shut out of the thing that he had dreamed about <laughs> yeah but it was his own doing of it was his being own shut doing. out yeah right but to show but to show that's so much about people helping other people and having your main character be completely helpless is a move it's a choice and yes, i know it's a but, purposeful choice yes but over the course of the season two he yes. purposely chose to put himself in that situation where if but, it was the restaurant or something else, he always chose something else, even though he said at the beginning it was about the restaurant. But I think where the show 
I we're going long on this when I told told you we were yes. going to go long on this, but there's just so much to dig into here. The last thing I'll say is, but to your point there, is I think they did it in an extremely realistic way where you still wanted to root for him. You still mm-hmm. wanted to be like, like, no, he should be able to have this one thing. He's given up and sacrificed so much and gone through so much bullshit that you want him to have this one thing because you feel like he does deserve it emotionally. Because if there's anything that I've learned, you know, you know, processing my own, you know, you know, going to my own therapy and figuring out my own deal is that you can't sacrifice the things for your mental well-being for the bigger picture. You have to maintain some sort of balance. And he was just grasping on to the last straw. Something lit- the world gave him a straw that he could grasp at at the right time. And he took it because of course he did. He's human. He has needs. He needed some sort of connection outside of his professional life and he took it. And yes, did he maybe lose track of some other things, but nobody's perfect. Nobody can balance all of these things at the same time. And so I feel like as much as he wants to beat himself up about it, at the end of the day, I would have done the same thing. A lot of people would have done the same thing. And I think that the stakes of the situation may be higher than a lot of people have to deal with, but maybe not. So I think that the show does such a good job of showing you all these things and being like, yeah, but it's really open to interpretation and different people would react this way. And I think he was realistic to his character to react that way in a way where I didn't feel like he was that stupid. But of course, he's going to beat himself up because that's also his character. His character is to be like, no, I don't deserve that because of the family trauma that set him up to feel that way. And that's why I feel like, yeah, as a whole piece, season two really works because everything is interconnected. You see the the mechanisms, you see all the cogs work in a perfect way without that last one with the last cog taken out where you're like well we're gonna leave a piece of this for you to ponder until we return for season three and that's why it's the best thing on television give it the emmy wait they did give it the emmy we'll give we'll make up a new award to give it to it it's that good yeah i don't know well technically we didn't get they didn't give season two the emmy they gave season one the emmy so the season two emmy will be next year yeah, it will be. All right. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Let's stop talking about the bear because we haven't even talked about uh, cancellations and renewals yet. All right. What am I no longer watching? All right. Cancellations and renewals this week. You are no longer watching rap shit on Max. And it has been canceled and my copy paste didn't work. Hold on. <laughs> uh, yep. They've got, they took that out. Whatever. I'll just hide this. Uh, the Flight Attendant has been canceled on Max as well. That's after two seasons. Schmigadoon on Apple TV Plus no longer exists. It has been canceled after its second season. And House of Villains on E! renewed for a second season. And I'll be interested to see what those they actually get for that one. <laughs> yes. That is a show hosted by Joel McHale, game show style, mm-hmm. um, where a bunch of reality show villains live in a house and boot each other off one by one until there's one ultimate villain. Oh boy. Speaking real briefly about reality show villains, The Bachelor just started. Hey! Uh, so the first episode of that is up. Um, Christy and I are doing it. We made a fantasy draft. Yeah! 32 women. We drafted 16 each. <laughs> and it's already <laughs> been a massacre after night one. We lost six and five <laughs> contestants each. 
So pretty balanced. <laughs> we actually ended up being pretty balanced. It doesn't right. feel like two out of. We're doing the similar uh, setup to what we did with Great British Break Off. For every remaining person, or in this case, every person, every rose a contestant earns, you get a point at the end of the episode. And two points for each one-on-one -on -one date. So that way, if there tends to be somebody that the Bachelor favors, they'll get a little bit more... Uh, An extra two points, points yep. As the, as the game goes on. And then, yeah, there'll be elimination or possibly double elimination at the end of episode, every episode, <laughs> so slowly paring us down week after week. We also have three instead of one locks that we were able to choose, where it's an auto win for one of us if one of those three wins uh, the whole thing. Oh, uh, okay. That's how we're doing it, so. We'll see. We shall see. Uh, anything else in TV? I don't think so. I think that that sums it all up. If not, then let's move on into music. And we already start the music with the billboard, and we start the billboard with the Hot 100. It threw me off. I thought we were doing True Reverse here, so I was oh, ready for sorry, video we didn't games. do video games. No, it's okay. Let's go to music. All right, we'll go to music. Um, and we start with the Hot 100 at number one. Pick up the phone. This is not nothing new, because Ariana <laughs> Grande, yes, comma, and yes. is your number one song. Yeah. Uh, coming in at two. Loving on Me by Jack Harlow. At three, Cruel Summer by Taylor Swift. At four, Greedy by Tate McRae. And rounding out your top five, Murder. I mean, Red Rum by yeah. 21 Savage. So everything remains the same except moves down, uh, except yep. for Yes And entering at number one, and then the 21 Savage song entering the top five at five. As for your Billboard 200, your albums chart at number one is American Dream. By 21 Savage. Coming in at two, Oriqueras by Caliuchis, which you talked about last week. We talked about the, the, the uh, 21 Savage record as well. So that's two yeah. that we talked about briefly last week. Coming in at three, One Thing at a Time by Morgan Wallen. At four, For All the Dogs by Drake. And rounding out your top five. 1989, Taylor's version by Taylor Swift. Yep. If you didn't like any of those albums, we have new releases. We do. Starting with Blood, Hair, and Eyeballs, Ooh. which combined is brought to you by Alkaline Trio. <laughs> uh, we also have People Who Aren't There Anymore by Future Islands. None of that current shit. Yeah. Uh, we also have Blue Raspberry by Katie Kirby. Mm -hmm. Natural Magic by Kula Shaker. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> a band. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure it is. They've been around for a while. You know how I know this? This is a really weird reference, but I, when I was seven, I had a Star Wars comic book that was released around the time of the re-releases the, the re of the original trilogy in theaters. Careful, you're dating Wars, yourself. Yeah, I know, I am. A Star Wars comic from 1997 that had an ad for an album by Kula Shaker in it. And little seven-year-old me had no idea what it was, so I was fascinated with that ad. Because I was like, <laughs> I don't know what this is advertising. I don't know what this is. Is it a movie? Is it a... Turns out it was an album in a band, and that was cool as <laughs> shit. Fun fact about it. 
Fun fact. All right. We also have Wall of Eyes by The Smile. Mm-hmm. What an Enormous Room <laughs> by Taurus. <laughs> and lastly, Three Bells uh, 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 by Ty Seagal. <laughs> All Sorry. right. There's nothing very funny about your read of What an Enormous Room. <laughs> what an Enormous Room. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's huge. What the hell? Like, that's how you would walk in and say, wow, what an, you don't whisper, wow, what an enormous room. Like, wow, what, what an enormous, enormous room. room. <laughs> Anyways. I know there's no exclamation point at the end of the album, but it definitely feels like there should be. There should be. All right. All right. Um, let's go from putting an exclamation point in the album to putting a fork in it because yeah, Pitchfork is done. Well, Maybe. Sort of. Uh, we'll get there. All right. Connie Nast is merging Pitchfork, the digital music publication, which it bought back in 2015, with men's magazine GQ, a move that will result in layoffs at Pitchfork, including the exit of editor-in-chief Pooja Patel. Anna Wintour. Yes, Connie, that Anna Wintour. Yes, Connie <laughs> Nast's. Uh, Chief Content Officer and Global Editorial Director at Vogue, announced the changes in a memo to company staff on Wednesday. Pitchfork, which has cultivated a brand geared around music's criticism, doling out both generous praise and withering pans, was founded in 1996 by indie music fan Ryan Schreiber. Quote, Today, We are evolving our Pitchfork team structure by bringing the team into the GQ organization. This decision was made after a careful evaluation of Pitchfork's performance and what we believe is the best path forward for the brand so that our coverage of music can continue to thrive within the company. Close quote, according to the memo written by Wintour herself. Yes. Okay. Few things about this. So, Pitchfork, kind of an industry, uh, like, like standby. Like, you, like, they made a lot of bands, especially in the 2000s, like, go from nobody had heard of them to one of the, some of the biggest acts in the world. They broke a lot of bands in their, in their history. And so they're a lot of, important to a lot of people. Yes. Over the years, especially after the Condé Nast buyout in 2015, it's aired a little more towards the, um, like the more generalized music space, writing a lot about a, a lot of bigger artists, but they never sacrificed writing about smaller artists while they were doing that. They've always been pretty balanced. Um, so not to mention the fact that they've always also employed a lot of very good music writers who will be losing their jobs by this decision. Another thing I want to point out here is that the statement is 100% bullshit. And I know it is. And I'll tell you why. A for, uh, Somebody who actually had numbers for Pitchfork's performance proved that it's actually been more popular than ever. It brings in a huge audience of readers. It's not, it's not suffering at all in performance. So the fact that this suggests that it is, is literally a lie. Then on top of that, to merge it with, so what's happening here is you mentioned whether or not, like you, you whether or not this was the end of your pitchfork. I don't think it is. It might be for the way we know it, 
I don't think it is as brand. It seems like they want, they do intend on keeping the brand. What they mean by merging it with GQ appears to be merging the staff, the existing remaining staff with the GQ staff and having it under one operational tent. I think they will still put articles and reviews on the site under the Pitchfork banner and pitchfork.com will still be an entity. In fact, fun fact, if you go there now, you have to sign up with your email address to read anything on the site now. That's new as of when this happened and it sucks. Um, so there's a potential that they could put a paywall there. So there's a lot of, and again, they lost a lot of people that made Pitchfork what it was anyway. So it kind of, Pitchfork in name only is kind of where it's going, uh, unfortunately. The last thing I want to mention is, is that it's just, it goes to show you that it's part of a larger commentary about where media is right now and where people just don't think that there's going to be a need for media. It also has a link to the labor stuff we've been talking about. A lot of people say that this move was to deter the Condé Nast union, which is right now trying to pick up the pieces left over. I believe they're striking today or it did strike today because it's the end of the business day over on the East coast. Uh, but yeah, um, that, that this was a union busting move to keep the pitch, the union members of pitchfork and the, the strong union gathering at pitchfork at bay was, this was kind of a last case scenario where they were like, all right, just take them down. And it worked. And all of the union organizers on the Pitchfork side did lose their jobs. So however you look at it, it's bad. It's bad for music media, uh, music uh, journalism. It's bad for media. It's bad for people who like having websites that they can find new music on. It's just bad for all sorts of places. Yes, Pitchfork did, you know, have a lot of pretentious reviews. It did have, you know, some questionable choices over the years. Yes, all that can be true. But ultimately, it's still a huge loss for indie music, people who write about music, and people who just care about music culture in general. I mean, we just talked about earlier how Sports Illustrated mm-hmm. was bolding and Time Magazine's laying off people. And here we have another sector, Pitchfork, long-established Pitchfork. Just not yeah. not being appreciated or appreciated by fans not by companies right they were just willing to just completely roll over because they thought oh we're gonna have to pay everybody more because of this union Eh, just fire them and so they did and it's very disappointing it's a misuse of the brand it just yeah it's gonna make it a ghost a shell of it what it used to be and it's just gonna be really disappointing so my my cry to all of you people who love music journalism who don't want this to happen again, go become a subscriber to Stereo Gum. Stereo Gum, great music blog, does some great music writing. They are independently operated right now, but they're only doing that because they have a subscriber uh, system. You can subscribe for $55 a year and keep them alive and at least keep one major pillar of internet music journalism alive as long as we can. So that is that is my plea. Until Penske Media buys them. Oh boy. Let's hope not. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Uh listening right. to things. Um, listen to things. One quick bit in music news, because it dropped about oh. three hours ago. Okay. And you probably don't want to cover it. <laughs> Kanye West oh boy. announced uh, vultures will be coming out 
in three separate volumes. First one slated for February 9th. Will you not be listening to this? Absolutely not. In fact, that's why I wasn't even going to cover it. All right. So let's move on then. <laughs> let's move on to something else that I really didn't want to cover, but here we are. <laughs> Green Day. We both listened to a record this week. Now, did you listen to it because I told you to listen to it? I listened to it because I was going to listen to it anyways. Okay. But, so, yes, I was baffled by your text that you sent me so much that I forgot to respond for a couple of days. <laughs> See, I, I thought, I, I after I said that, up, I thought you were like, I, oh, let me go listen to this now. Is it no, really that good? And then you come no, back with, no, what are you talking about? Yeah, because Christy was behind me when I got your text message. I was literally like, he likes it? <laughs> like, I showed her. And we were both just like, what? And I forgot to actually respond to the text. We were, I was so, like, in the moment, baffled by it. Until today, when I was ready to, or yesterday, or whenever that was, when I was ready to text you about something else. And I saw it, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you were baffled again. I was baffled again. I was like, that's right. He did like it. I had forgotten about it. I erased it, erased it from my mind. It was such a strange take. All right. Tell me what you found redeeming about... Green Day's 14th, yes, 14th record, Saviors. Technically 14th. Do you count Uno, or, yeah, Uno does Tres I count as, those as three in, records, yeah. Okay, I, I don't. <laughs> Fine. I count them all as one bundle. All right. But yes, technically those are three records. Yeah. So, yes. Um, Green Day. Ah, this, this thing threw me way back to American Idiot days high school people would be listening to this and be like wow they didn't change also um i guess i was mainly comparing this album with the recent album of liquid 82 because yes they are kind of the same age graph yes they are kind of targeting the same kind of people same kind of demographic but going at it completely two different ways whereas mm -hmm. liquid 82 Still in the, we're going to stick with our stick and you're going to like our stick because people like our stick. And Green Day over here being like, we can talk about this new stuff in the same way we've been doing it and people are going to enjoy it. And I really enjoyed this album a lot more than it sounds like you did. I like their messages. I like their tone. I liked what they were coming at me with. I really, really liked um, 1981. It's a goddamn catchy tune. It's yeah. stuck in my head. It's a goddamn earworm. And <laughs> that's a, what a lot of this album kind of that I like harkens back to. The earworms from American Idiot. The earworms from 21st Century Breakdown. Just those, like, yes, I you can call it. It's the nostalgia bait in me that's just saying, hey, you like the sound of this stuff. That's why you like it. And yes, that's probably true. But damn it, I do like it. Um, I will say though, one eye bastard, one <laughs> yeah, great name for sucks, a title, right? Two, <laughs> that song and that melody stolen. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> I know I've heard that somewhere. I couldn't pin it, but I swear I heard that somewhere. Oh, I, I remember now is Pink. That's the Pink melody from Pink's song. Yeah, and it sucked then too. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I understand where you're coming from. I get everything that you're saying. Because ultimately, though, I feel like you could have that exact thing that you just said and also put stamp it right on that Blink-182 record that we talked about last year. 
they feel the same to me. And I have the same problems with both of them. I think, well, maybe, I, I maybe like the Green Day record a little less, actually, is what I'll say. But they're very, mm -hmm. they come from very similar zones for me. They're both bands with a thing that they feel like they're expected to do. They have a fan base now. They feel like, oh, well, we have to do this one thing because the fans want it. They're essentially on the nostalgia circuit. I was actually thinking about something that I hadn't considered yesterday. And once it hit me, I was like, oh, yeah, of course. All these bands are Kiss now. People used to make fun <laughs> of Kiss because Kiss's whole thing was they did one thing for a while and then basically immediately retired to the nostalgia circuit on that one thing. They became extremely savvy about how they were marketed and they toured constantly. So much so they ended bands, it last December. Yeah. All these millennial Maybe. bands now <laughs> realize that that's the textbook now. They're like, oh, we can all do this and then we can have money forever. And that's what they're all doing. They're not doing anything interesting. They're not doing anything new. They're not doing anything creative within these little boxes that they put themselves in. And this is a perfect example of that. There are moments I will give them. I will, there are moments that I felt like Side A has a few songs on this thing that I thought were okay. And I think it ends pretty well too. But the middle is so bloated for me. And it's just so many songs that I feel like they're just trying too hard to write another American Idiot. But not even as creative as American Idiot. Now, I have to admit, I'm actually not an American Idiot guy. I don't love it. There's You're songs on guy? that. Huh? Are you a dookie guy? I'm a dookie guy, 100%. Mm. And so that's the thing, is Green Day for me is let's just do fast, funny punk songs that are really well played with surprisingly great bass lines. That's all I expect. That's all I want. Once you start layering on top of that with, yeah, but we also have to do this trenchant social commentary, and we also have to do this political posturing stuff. We want to be a hardcore band, but we also want to be the Sex Pistols, and we also want to be all these other bands. That's when you start losing me as you go on in the future of their catalog. And yeah, so I'm not exactly the best person to talk about this record because I feel like this record is really meant for people like you that have nostalgia for American Idiot. And I don't. So I'm coming from this a uh, couple of stages removed. But on top of that, even when they're trying, when they're trying that kind of American Idiot shtick, I still think it's not as good as even the American Idiot shtick because that they seem to have a concept behind. It was a concept record, right? That and... um. 21st century breakdown we're still the band trying to be like here's a narrative we set up so much so that there is a musical based on the narratives of both of those records there was mm -hmm. strong enough source material that there's a story you could tell here there's no story in saviors all these there's no songs that are linked together there's in fact you come in after the first track thinking oh this is going to be another political statement record and then the rest and of it kind of isn't yeah. There's like one song later that's like kind of gets into the political stuff. But even that feels like it's just grabbing low-hanging fruit and not really talking about anything. And so by the end of it, I'm just like, well, mm -hmm. if it's not giving me good, fast, fun Green Day songs, and it's also not giving people who loved American Idiot like a really strong concept and political aim to grasp onto, what is it giving me? It's giving me a lot of different things, and none of them are that particularly great. 
And so I do feel like, what is what is this thing that they gave me? Is it because as a collection of songs, it's not that wonderful either. So I'm just like, I don't know. I just don't get it. It's okay. I'll go take this album. I'll go put it on repeat on my car, and you can go enjoy. Uh, what is it, Sleater Kenny? That came out earlier this week too. I did actually listen to it this week. Better than I thought it was. Going yeah, to. you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, go listen to your Kula Shaker. <laughs> actually, I don't think I've ever heard a Kula Shaker song. To be fair. Anyways, um, so two different opinions music. on Green Day. I mean, yeah, I get, again, again, I get it. As a nostalgia yeah, thing, it. I understand people. And I do appreciate that they are trying to branch out in very, very small ways. Did I ever think that I was going to hear uh, Billy Joe Armstrong ask me if I want to be his boyfriend? No, I didn't think I was ever going to hear that. But now I have. <laughs> and I don't feel that much different uh, of having heard it, but still. It's interesting that he felt like he can do it. So there's stuff like that that I think there are interesting angles that they could take, but it's not adventurous enough they're not doing enough and that's kind of where it right. you wanted them to push the envelope more i'm happy where they push the envelope up i just to. wish that these bands made interest more interesting music than they do <sighs> but i'm just saying i'm just saying that there's there are bands that have existed this long and had 30 year careers that were arguably just as interesting in their latter half as they were in their first half those bands exist in fact i would argue that Foo Fighters' last record from last year is more interesting and has more to say than either the Blink-182 record or this. And that's proof that you can exist for that long and still have a vital record in you. These are not that. I'm sorry, Trey Cool, but your time is up now. (laughs) I will stop. But um, any other music that we should talk about? Um, Do you want to give your quick bits on the Slater Kenny record? I'll just say the same thing that you just said, which is I it was better than I thought. There were a couple great songs in there, but overall as a package, it's still not quite to the level that I want them to be. However, it's probably their best record since uh, since No Cities to Love, which is 10 years old now, which is weird to say. <laughs> so, it happens. It comes yeah. syncs up on you. Speaking of syncing up, we're at the last section here. Video games. Yes. And we start video games with new releases, uh, including Phantom Abyss for the PC and Xbox Ooh. Series X, Under Night in Birth 2, Cis colon, Celeste uh, for PC, PS4, PS5, and the Switch. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> we also have Graven for the PC. And then your big hitters, including... Apollo Justice colon Ace Attorney Trilogy for the PC, PS4, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have Tekken 8 for the PC, PS5, and Xbox Series X. And then we have Like a Dragon colon Infinite Wealth for the PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox Series X, and Xbox One. No switch for Like a Dragon. Hmm. Uh, I'm hearing good buzz about the Like a Dragon and the Tekken 8. Yes. Reviews hit for both of them today and really, really stellar stuff. Mostly positive, yep. But before you play those (laughs) games, head on over to Steam 
because there's one game everyone's playing there. Better yet, head over to Twitch, because there's only one game that everyone's playing there. I shouldn't have used my vitriol for Green Day. I should have saved it for this. Let's talk about Pal World. Do-do-do-do. Pokemon with guns, a.k.a. Digimon, a.k.a. Pal World, <laughs> now has the second highest concurrent player count in Steam's history. On Tuesday, the game hit 1,864,000 concurrent players, according to independent Steam Data Tracker Steam DB. Shout out. Um, <laughs> that number saw it overtake Valve's Counter Strike, which peaked at 1,818,000 games back in May of 2023. Only one game has ever attracted more concurrent players on Steam. That being PUBG Battlegrounds, which currently holds the record at 3.2 million concurrent players, which is set back in January of 2018. The director of Steam's colossal breakout hit, Pal World, has responded to allegations of plagiarism as accusations mount that the game could have copied Pokemon designs. While he did not deny any influence from Pokemon, he claimed the game's artists had received online abuse and called for it to stop. Quote, We are currently receiving abuse and defamatory comments against our artists, in addition to tweets that appear to be death threats. While we have received various opinions about Pal World, it is important to note that the supervision of all materials related to Pal World is conducted by a team including myself. I bear the responsibility for the product, for the produced materials. I would appreciate it if these comments towards artists involved in Pal World would cease. Close quote. Okay, so let's break some of this down. So you'll notice I combined two stories into one. That's how yes. much there was going on in the gaming landscape about Pal World this week. First thing. Yeah, it's extremely popular. But the thing is, is that that's always a double-edged sword. The more people looking at your game, the more people that are going to start, you know, shooting shots at your game. And that's what we saw happen mm -hmm. this week. So there's actually two controversies here. One is about AI and two is about the Pokemon stuff. Here we're talking about the Pokemon stuff. I'll, I'll be brief, I promise, because I know we have 10 minutes. Uh, the Pokemon stuff uh, seems, seems to just be people, mostly Pokemon fans, pointing out that there's a lot of very similar designs between Pokemon, and some of the creatures in Pal World. You know, video games share assets all the time. Video games are highly inspired by stuff, by competitors in this landscape. This is nothing new. Art inspires gonna, art inspires art. Yeah. I'm going to say that largely that part of the stuff, the discussion has been overblown. Plenty of games have tried for the Pokemon throne and failed. This is just the newest one of those, and it just seems to be a little bit more detailed than the others. Expect it. Second thing I'll say to the AI point, another thing that ended up being a little overblown. I guess a lot of people thought that there were elements of the game that were AI generated, potentially even the character designs. A lot of people came up with the theory of they were just putting Pokemon into a generator and spitting out these combined versions of for their creatures in the game. Well, one, none of that is founded on the actual evidence. People basically took a tweet from somebody who thought they knew what they were talking about and ran with it. And you saw a lot of people just make assumptions based on that. Two, 
that CEO that made that quote is on the record for being a huge AI guy to the point where this studio has made an AI driven game. So people use that as bait and basically said, well, this means he surely is using AI in this game. It's an AI game. And people, again, ran with it. But in both cases, both, you know, after the discourse has kind of slowed down, seemed to be overblown. But again, it just goes to show you how big an event this launch was, how many people are talking about Power, Power World, like it or not. Yeah, it's everywhere. I saw it just pop up and just like, what this thing actually finally came out because i thought this was an early access game that yeah is like forever in early access never gets fully released uh but yeah people play it it's got pokemon-esque designs yeah in an open world that pokemon has recently started to adapt yeah um lots of memes going around saying which one's better that Pokemon is original, but Power World is just the souped-up version of it. That this is someone's yeah. first iteration into it, and they're liking the risks that Power World is taking. Yeah, I think there's stuff to like about what it's trying to do. I think you you nailed it on the head right there with saying that people appreciate the risks it's willing to take. I think a lot of people, especially diehard Pokemon fans, are disappointed that the series hasn't taken more risks and hasn't maybe to a certain extent, grown up with its fan base in the ways that they would like it to. I disagree, mm -hmm. but, you know, tomato, tomato. Um, but then, so people do see Power World as an, as an example of, hey, this is something a Pokemon-like game can do. Uh, the thing that a lot of people are maybe misunderstanding about Power World and something I didn't know going into it, which, to segue into my thoughts about Power World, I played... Yeah, you played Power World. A little bit of it. Because um, it's on, on Game Pass. Right. as well as on Steam. Um, this is a survival game, straight up. I want people to know that before they start playing this, because I did not know this before I started playing it. I assumed that I would just be able to, like, you create your character, you go and catch some Pokemon, or, sorry, pals, pals. catch some ca pals, and you move on, and then eventually you get guns, and then there's gun stuff. That's what I thought this game was. No, this is a full-on survival game, like ARK-style survival game. Mm -hmm. You are put on this island. You have no clothes. You have nothing. You have to build everything you make. And at a certain point, if the weather gets cold, you will freeze. If you get hungry, you have to find food. <laughs> I was not prepared for this, needless to say. So here I am trying to figure out what the game wants from me, trying to gather up the materials, getting frustrated that... I made the Pokeball finally that it, sorry, Creature Ball or whatever they call it. The, the Pal Ball. Pal Ball. I made the Pal, pal Ball orb. and I threw it at a Pal and it bounced right off of him. Like, well, fuck, <laughs> what am I supposed to do? I have to get all this stuff again to make another ball. Go back, make another ball. Throw it again. Bounces off again. What? I didn't miss this time. Is it not damaged enough? Then I'm like, okay, shoot. Now these two Pals are trying to attack my, my table, that my building table that I build stuff on. Well, shit, what am I supposed to do? I can't catch them. I'm like, do I kill them? I kill them. And then they're just dead bodies. They're just rolling around in front of me. And I'm like, this is horrendous. This is terrifying. And I have to go make another ball. I throw it at the, 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 the fainted one thinking, well, maybe this isn't like Pokemon. Maybe I can catch them when they're fainted. Nope. It bounces right off again. I make a fourth ball. <laughs> I finally catch them. And then I'm like, all right, cool. Check mark. Move on to the next step in the tutorial. It's like, oh, build this other thing. 
and I can't build it where I was building my other stuff because it says it's not a big enough space. And then before I can go find another place, all of a sudden I'm freezing to death. There's a campfire. I stand next to the campfire. I'm good while next to the campfire, but elsewhere, like I am screwed, but I need to leave that zone so I can build the other thing. Right. So I'm caught. And then I'm also hungry, but I can't leave that zone because I'll freeze to death. So ultimately I was just like, this game is driving me insane. I am not having any fun. <laughs> I'm stressed out. I'm turning off power. So my take on Pal World is there might be a good game under there somewhere. There might be something to it. I think it's an interesting thing they're doing, and I'm glad people like it. But my problem with Pal World, it is it is in a genre that I do not want to touch, and it is not for me. That is a my true survival genre. Yes, I am. I'm stepping away from Pal World. Like I'm glad people have it. I'm glad people like it. <laughs> I am. I am out. Washing my hands. Well, I didn't play it. I don't think I'm going to play it, but I might watch other people play it. Um, with that, I'm still playing more um, Nobody Saves the World. Uh, mm -hmm. Tiny Tina, uh, Dragon, Bizarre, Wonder, Wonder, Wizardlands, Wonderlands. Whatever that was. Wonderlands. Wonderlands. Wonderlands um, finally came out on PS Plus. That's a good so place. So I will be playing that probably this week. All right, I had some fun with that when that came uh, that came out. I yeah, you said it'd be more my, my alley. Um, yeah, it, it but it was also right tolerance. when I canceled my uh, yeah. Game Pass subscription. I was like, yeah, maybe next time. Yeah, I have a, you this have a higher next time. tolerance. Right the, around. Yeah, I think you have a slightly higher tolerance than me for the Borderlands bullshit, and so yep. you'll probably have a good time with it. Probably. Hey, <laughs> if I get to hear Andy Samberg's voice, I'll probably it's be happy with it. Always a win, turns out. Yes. All right, and with that, that'll. Yeah. Wrap us up here then. Let's see anything else. Do it. No, I think that's it. So thank you everybody for watching us here at the Media Boat Podcast. If you want to see us in video form, go to YouTube, search Media Boat Podcast there, and you'll find our channel. Like, subscribe, leave a review. Who knows? You can also listen to us on audio form for in audio form on podcast services such as Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you listen to podcasts, search Media Boat Podcast. You can find us on the web on mediaboatpodcast.com. You can also see a new feature that I launched this week where I post a playlist of songs that I listen to every week. So if you want to delve into some of the more obscure stuff that I don't have time to talk about on the podcast, and if you're curious about it, check it out. It's on the website. You can also find us on uh, twitch.tv slash mediaboat where Mike has been playing Nobody Saves the World. We might have other games coming down the pipe soon, so stay tuned. And then uh, last but not least, if you have any questions for us, uh, oh, we're on social media as well, Twitter, at MediaBoatCast. Uh, but yeah, if you have questions, comments about the show that you want to hear read, read on the show live, MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com is where those questions go. So with that, thank you, and we'll be back next week for more. We'll be back with probably thoughts on Killers of the Flower Moon, probably thoughts on Maestro, and probably thoughts on why our episode is 420 and not weed related. All that mm -hmm. and next time on this episode, on Mino Podcast. Indeed. Uh, thank you. So, see you guys next time. Okay, bye. Bye.